the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Morning, Glory America. Monday, January 8th. I'm Hugh Hewitt live. Good morning to you. Overnight, the Israeli Defense Forces announced 30 strikes on Hamas targets amid fierce, fierce fighting in southern Gaza. Over the weekend, northern Gaza was declared secure and Hamas um, deconstructed, inoperable. There's still some Hamas terrorists in northern Gaza, but the Israeli Defense Forces have now turned to southern Gaza. But as southern and central Gaza come under the same sort of intense battles, the world looks beyond Gaza. New York Times headline, from Lebanon to the Red Sea, a border, a broader conflict with Iran looms. Get that? With Iran. President Biden and his top national security aides believed last summer um, that the chance of conflict with Iran and its proxies were well contained. Okay, that was last summer. Remember, Jake Sullivan wrote, the National Security Advisor wrote a long piece in foreign affairs. Never been this quiet in the Middle East. Well, they were surprised. Now they're worried it's going to get very, very big, very, very quickly. In the Washington Post this morning, Israel's talk of expanding war to Lebanon alarms the United States. What is that referring to? It's referring to the fact that Israel's Secretary of Defense, a very serious guy by the name of Gallant, has warned Hezbollah that Israel can, quote, copy-paste, close quote, Gaza in Beirut. In other words, if Hezbollah does not move back to the Latani River, which is what Hezbollah agreed to do in the last Israel-Lebanon war in 2006, Israel will move them back. And that war will make Gaza look small. Because Hezbollah is much better trained. They've got Iranian fighters already interspersed among their troops. Hezbollah has more than 150,000 missiles, some of them precision-guided. Of course, Israel has Iron Dome and is fully mobilized. There will be no element of surprise, just a big, full-on war. And it appears it is imminent. Uh, also, by the way, over the weekend, Ukrainian Marines are clinging to a bridgehead. They shot down three Russian fighters, three Su-34s shot, uh, shot down as this. We haven't paid much attention to what's going on in Ukraine. It's a static front. But there's a bridgehead that Ukraine has established across a crucial river, and Russians are trying to push them back. I point all this out. Wars and rumors of wars, fronts in Gaza, front in Lebanon, the Houthis attacking the Red Sea, shipping and worries about a wider war as Ukraine heats up. Because Lloyd Austin vanished over the weekend. This is truly stunning. Um, Over the last week, the Secretary of Defense, now the chain of command for you Steelers fans, the President of the United States is the Commander-in-Chief of the military. Not the Vice President has nothing to do with it. The Chief of Staff has nothing to do with it. President of, uh, of the United States says, launch the missile, don't launch the missile, go, don't go. That order goes to the Secretary of Defense, and the Secretary of Defense gives it to one of five combatant commanders. 
doesn't go to the chair of the Joint Chiefs, it doesn't go to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, it doesn't go to the Army Secretary, the Navy Secretary, the chain of command is President, Sec Def, Combatant Commander. There are five, like Central Com, Central Command and Pacific Command, things like that, and Africa Command. That's the chain of command. Lloyd Austin went MIA last week. He went into the hospital to have an elective procedure. We don't know what it is, and something went wrong. And he, he may be still in intensive care. The Pentagon remains non-transparent about this. And nobody told the president. And apparently Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, did not know that the secretary of defense was out of it. He was in intensive care. Now, the deputy secretary of defense, whose name I do not recall, the woman who was the deputy secretary of defense, was informed that she had acting duties over the weekend. But acting duties are different from the, the secretary of defense's comatose or under general anesthetic or can't function. And so if the Houthis hit a plane or, or a train or an automobile or most likely a ship, you're going to have to make a decision to call the president. And Joe Biden is not exactly on the top of his game, if you haven't noticed. And so uh, Mrs. X calls up the president and says, I'm your secretary of defense for the day. He's going to be really confused. Now, late yesterday, Defense Secretary Austin, late Saturday, excuse me, accepted blame for keeping his hospitalization secret. Austin 70 conceded in a statement, quote, he could have done a better job of ensuring the public was appropriately informed. You think? In the Telegraph this morning in the United Kingdom, the headline says Biden under pressure to sack the defense chief who kept him in the dark about the hospital stay. I don't know if he is or not. Lloyd Austin is a very, very invisible secretary of defense. Um, it is a it is a question of competence. He's 70 years old and he's sick. Now, Joe Biden might not care about that because Joe Biden's 80 years old and infirm. But it, it does seem to me that we have to ask about the general competence of the Biden administration. Now, we are a week away from the Iowa caucuses. I can guarantee you that if the last secretary of defense of the Trump years, Chris Miller, had gone MIA, we would have known about it the day he went MIA and Trump would have been crucified for it. If the first secretary of defense, James Mattis, had gone MIA, we would have been told about it and Trump and Republicans would have been crucified about it because it matters. It's how you respond, especially with wars going on in Ukraine, hot wars in Ukraine and Israel and with American troops under fire all across the Middle East from Iranian proxies. Not to have a secretary of defense is a huge, huge in fact, it's so extraordinary. I got lots of emails over the weekend. I'm a civilian. If you're a new listener in Greenville, South Carolina, if you're a new listener anywhere across the country, we pick up new affiliates every day, 475 affiliates. I talk to you every morning. I bring you the news in this first segment and, and commentary in the first couple. Then we do some guests. We'll talk to you occasionally. And stuff comes up in the course of the show. I'll, keep you, I'll get you to work informed. The thing you ought to walk in today and say is, you know, the Secretary of Defense went MIA for five days, and Joe Biden didn't know about it. The president of the United States did not know his commander, his number one military guy, was gone. And you've got to ask yourself, can we afford this? Now, we we got to put up with it for another year and two weeks. 
All right. The the, the inauguration of, of the next president and it will be a new president. I don't think it's going to be Joe Biden. I don't even know if Joe Biden is going to be the nominee. He is so frail. I watched this weekend. He is so frail that I, I've begun to question whether or not, you know, January 8th, January 20th of 2025 is the new inauguration. So we got to get through 54 weeks. Pray for the president that he can hang together for 54 weeks because I have my doubts. I really have my doubts. Uh, and I'll come back to this in subsequent. I think everyone ought to ask themselves, what do you, what do you think about this administration? Uh, you don't Republican, Democrat, independent. What do you think about the fact that president of the United States did not know that his secretary of defense was intensive care, did not know that the chain of command had been broken, that was moving through an acting and the national security advisor who may or may not have known has not answered the question. Jake Sullivan didn't tell him. They didn't tell Joe Biden. What does that tell you about Joe Biden? I, I'm not I'm not one to beat up on the president. He's an old guy and I pray for him and I pray for his health. Old guys should not be president. Joe Biden should not be president anymore. Donald Trump has got the energy of 25 Joe Bidens, 50 Joe Bidens. He did a rally. I'll play some rally. The Grand Old Pod is today. We'll play a lot of the Grand Old Pod rally. Uh, To get the Grand Old Pod, you have to be a member of the universe to get highly concentrated hue, which is this show shorn down to its core. It's a three-hour radio show, and I no one wants to listen to a three-hour podcast, so I get it down to 45 minutes to an hour, and we post it over at iTunes and Spotify and the Salem Podcast Network. You can go there, and I will post over at the Universe, the Grand Old Pod, and you can listen to all of the Iowa rally, and Chris Christie's ads, and Nick Haley's response, and Governor DeSantis on Face the Nation yesterday. I just don't understand the DeSantis strategy. I really don't. Face the nation. How many people do you think are going to vote in Iowa and New Hampshire on a week from today and two weeks from tomorrow who watched Face the Nation yesterday? Has anybody, have you asked yourself that? You're listening to me right now. I cover all of New Hampshire, all of it. Every single minute of every single hour of the Hugh Hewitt Show goes out to every voter in New Hampshire via uh, WGUM. MEG. I, I get in, in Portland, and I got Saga stations in Keene and Manchester, New Hampshire. And Ron DeSantis is on Margaret Brennan's show on a Sunday morning when Republican and independent voters are going to church. I, I just, I do not understand these campaigns, but we're down to those three. Uh, I think Chris Christie effectively is finished. Uh, but it's all starting in a week, and, and we've got to ask ourselves, can we, can the country survive four more years of Joe Biden if he even if he somehow hangs on to life for four and a half years. And he's very, very frail. Do we want to? Stay tuned on QQ. Good morning, America. A week to Iowa. A week to Iowa. It's unbelievable the 2024 race gets underway in one week, and I am bringing you the headlines. As I said, the New York Times, Shane Goldmacher, wonderful reporter. In time, you got Peter Baker and Shane Goldmacher and, and, and Mike, uh, a bunch of good guys, uh, and I, I read those bylines. I don't read their opinion columns, which are nuts. And I don't read their, quote, analyses, which are nuts. But when Shane Goldmacher reports on the 2024 race, you can take it to the bank. Shane's been doing good work for years. And he has a story this uh, weekend. Trump takes aim at Haley as primary enters final phase in Iowa. In Iowa. Donald J. Trump's escalating attacks on Nikki Haley, both on the airwaves and at his rallies. Criticism she likened Saturday to a temper tantrum. 
captured the turbulent dynamics in the final weeks before the first votes of the 2024 presidential primary are cast. Mr. Trump, Ms. Haley, and Ron DeSantis fanned out across Iowa this weekend to make their case before the state's caucuses a week from Monday, week from today, in a frenetic burst of activity as voters endured an unending barrage of mailers, TV ads, and door knockers. I am myself as upbeat about the Republican Party as I have been in a long time because I did a Saturday morning event for my friend, Dr. Ken Williams, who is chairman of the Orange County, California Board of Education. And a door knocking event, for those of you who do not know, is when you assemble everyone who is willing to walk in a particular area if it's an, a, a district election. And Ken Williams has been on the Board of Education, big charter school proponent, big protector of the Orange County Classical Academy, which is a Hillsdale school in California. And uh, Ken, I've known for 20 years. And he said, would you come to the breakfast? I said, sure. I was expecting 30, 40 people. They had 150 people there. And Congresswoman Michelle Steele, Congresswoman Young Kim came. Uh, the Republican National Committee member came. Members of city councils and school boards came. And 150 volunteers came to spend their Saturday morning. They get some scrambled eggs and some orange juice and some talks. They have to go out the door at 10, 15. If you want to get... People, you, you don't want to knock on people's doors after one o'clock. The, the, the ideal time to approach someone's door on a Saturday is between 10 and 1. So I gave very brief remarks, but I was buoyed. There were a score of high school and college kids from the University of California, Irvine, working for Michelle Steele. Her, her district is down in Southern California along Newport Beach, uh, Huntington Beach, a little bit inland. And so she's got a bunch of UCI students involved. And I was telling the kids, 50 years ago, I was them. My first race was 1974 for Paul Cronin in Massachusetts. And I spent my weekends doing that. There's nothing better to learn American politics than to do American politics. But the energy, the diversity, the commitment, the, uh, the upbeat nature of Michelle Steele and Young Kim. Southern California got these two great congresswomen, Michelle Steele and Young Kim. Congresswoman Steele's on the Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party uh, with Chairman Gallagher. Young Kim is on the National Republican Congressional Committee Recruitment Committee. So I had a chance to catch up with them and to catch up with the, uh, Sean Steele's member of the Republican National Committee. Did a good job this year steering between Scylla and Charbotus of, of people named Trump and people not named Trump. And it was it was just encouraging to me that. The Republican primary in California until March and two months before March, they got 150 people at a breakfast on a Saturday morning. And again, it was not right down the street. It was way down in Brea at a horse farm. But you got to go to places where voters are. And so if you gather 150 volunteers in and you do the grid the right way, you can upload the houses that you want to go knock and drop information off at. And that's how you win elections. You don't win elections on Twitter. You don't win elections on Face the Nation. You don't win elections with ads. You win elections with person-to-person contact, old-fashioned way. And Orange County had a great party structure for decades under uh, first Lois Lundberg and then Tom Fuentes. And now Fred does a pretty good job. But it's it's been a little bit flat on its back. they got to get those two reelected and Scott Baugh into Katie Porter's seat. So I, just, I was just happy to see retail politics back. Now, there isn't 
one in 30 people on the air. They're in one in 100 people on the air who did something like that. I like to report on stuff like that because it's the reality of party politics, practical politics. And it looks and it feels good for Republicans. But the events will start to come in. America on this Monday morning. I'm Hugh Hewitt live. Thank you for listening to me. Okay, the NFL playoffs are set. The Cleveland Browns are going down to Houston on Saturday at 4.30 Eastern, 1.30 in the West. And this is a big deal. I had friends in town. Gary Segretto, work, wake up and get going, all right? Will you, Segretto? Get out of bed and get working. Uh, Segretto lives in Columbus, is an old friend of mine. But we were talking about Gary on Saturday night because my friends, uh, Rob G and Patty G and Rich, Patty's better half, were in town. And we had dinner with them on, on Saturday night. And we were talking about this and the fact that uh, I've, I've been a season ticket holder of the Cleveland Browns since their return from exile in 1999. As long as this show has been on the air, and I started this show on July 10, 2000, for the Salem Radio Network. I've been on radio and television since 1990. But the Cleveland Browns, I attended every home game from 1965 to the end of the 74 season. Then I went to college, and I made a few games thereafter, like the double overtime win over the Jets, et cetera. But then... You're, you're not in town. You can't go to Cleveland. My dad had four, had five tickets, actually, because he had three boys and, and my mom and the five of us would go week in and week out. The Browns were the deal, and they were good, usually. Not great. They never made the Super Bowl. They did win the NFL championship in 64 before I can remember things. But they've never been to the Super Bowl. And I, I was asked, or we were texting about how significant is this, and I pointed out to someone, my friend Jaeger has been my, my good buddy since 1989. He's known me for 35 years. And the Browns have made four trips to the playoffs in 35 years. So I've had season tickets for 35 years, and they've gone to the playoffs four times, and they've never played a home game. Now, they're not playing at home this week. They're going to go down and beat up on the Texans in Houston. And poor Miles Garrett. I like C.J. Stroud. He's a Buckeye, right? They have not got the world's greatest O-line. And Zadarius Smith and Miles Garrett, poor C.J. Stroud, and their their defensive line is not in great shape. You know the, the Browns. Everyone at the end of the year is kind of messed up. But the miracle Joe Flacco is the story. The thirty eight year old wonder kid who's come off the bench. It's the fifth quarterback will start for the Browns um, this season. Flacco's already started, so he's coming back. But yesterday we went with uh, Jeff Driscoll. And nobody played. The Browns lost it. It didn't mean anything because they were locked into the fifth seed. But they're going to play on Saturday at 4.30. So you, if you want to get in touch with me, you may not want to try and get in touch with me from Saturday at 4. And you may want to check at me on Saturday at 9. Um, because this is uh, Eastern time. Because it's just going to be playoffs are hard on Browns fans. So I'm getting ready right now. Playoffs are hard on Browns fans. Now, you know what else is going on? I don't know how they expect to pass the government budget in two weeks with the Browns in the playoffs. I really don't know how anyone can concentrate. But yesterday late afternoon, a top-line number was agreed between Speaker Johnson and Chuck Schumer. Uh, I, I laugh at this because, remember, the Freedom Caucus threw out Kevin McCarthy, the best guy to be Speaker in my lifetime, because they didn't like the top-line deal he agreed to, and Mike Johnson agreed to the same top-line deal. Because the Republicans, to quote 
Dean Martin, and I, I do mean that. John Boehner was the Dean Martin of the Republicans. I've only got one half of one third of the, the government under my control. And so when you have the House, you can stop bad things from happening, but you can't make a lot of good things happen. So it's a compromise and it's too much money, but they are going to raise defense spending. And some of the Freedom Caucus is upset and they're not going to vote for it. So Democrats are going to have to put it over the top, but we're not going to shut down the government. Uh, And I don't think they're going to get money for Ukraine or Israel because Democrats don't want to build the wall. And I'm going to say this to you again and again and again. Any deal that comes out, there are three parts to it. Border security, Ukraine security, Israeli security. I support all three. They've got to finish the wall. Uh, 900 miles minimum, 800 miles, some people say is the minimum, but I think it's 900 miles, of big, old, indestructible, repairable wall. And a huge expansion of the Border Patrol to patrol it, and a vast expansion of detention centers to keep people, because even the the Biden administration admitted this weekend to 2.3 million people crossing into the country over the last three years under Biden. It's really 3 million people because the getaways have to be added in there. So 3 million people have entered the United States over three years. 3 million people. 2.3 million people admittedly known, caught, and released. There are a few people in the detention centers. The ones on the terrorist watch list, about 160 of them last year, last fiscal year, they're in lock up. We don't know who got over the border on the terror watch list that we don't know about, but it's it's such a, an extraordinary number of people. It has become the driving force and Democrats are pretending like it doesn't it doesn't worry them. It's going to drive the entire election. Americans have had it. And it's a security issue. They are not racist. They are not against people coming up here who want to work. They're not against work visas. They do not want to give people the right to vote. They do not want to give people access to all of the benefits. Their kids go to school. We, we, we want the children of immigrants to go to school, even if they're not here with permission, even if they're here illegally. Uh, but it is a huge issue. And Jim Lankford and Tom Tillis, two good men, are leading the Republican negotiations on what's in the Ukraine-Israel border bill. And if any of their staffs are listening, if they are listening, if they're driving, I want you to know, if the wall is not in there, uh, not only me, but everybody will be against your bill. And it will die. I don't know if it will get out of the Senate. It will not get through the House. It won't come to the floor. If the wall is not in there. So I know that Democrats don't want the wall because it represents a symbolic victory for former President Trump. He's always argued that it is a necessary but not sufficient condition to put up a big, beautiful wall. And it is. Step one, it's not the end of the problem. It cuts down 90% of the flow, and it secures the border 90% of the way. It's the best example is when Israel went through the second intifada and suicide bomber, 140 of them, kept coming across from the West Bank. There was no wall, and they would enter somewhere along the West Bank, Big, big border between the Palestinian territories under the control, nominal or otherwise, of the Palestinian Authority. And the crazy fanatics would brainwash a kid to go blow up Jews in Jerusalem. That happened in 2000 to 2003, I think. 140 times. And Israel said, that's it. We're building a wall. And they built a wall. 
And that was the end of the suicide bombers. Right now, you know what Finland's doing? Because Russia's trying to flood Finland with illegal immigrants, they're building a wall. You know what Hungary did? They built a wall. Walls work. Not perfectly. But if you haven't got a wall, you're not serious. And so I'm going to be against any deal. And I'm going to use this microphone every day to have you call every congressman you can, every senator you can. If the wall is not in there, 900 miles, the authorization has to say, notwithstanding any other law, the Army Corps of Engineers will construct, according to the maps attached, 900 miles of barrier, at least equal to Appendix A. And then you take a picture of the best part of the wall and shall have it up before Part B of this title shall enter into effect. So you blow away the National Environmental Policy Act, get that out of the way, you get the Clean Water Act out of the way, the Endangered Species Act out of the way, and you just say, we're building this wall. We're doing it now, and the Army Corps of Engineers is going to do it. Get the CBs, get whoever you need, we're going to build it. Focus and execute. Then, paragraph two is, the Border Patrol shall be increased in personnel from X to Y. And that ought to be 2X. I know, I've just left all the Steeler fans behind. And then part three, we're going to hire a Z number of new border adjudicators, immigration judges. They're not Article Three judges. They're Article One judges. They don't have life tenure. They don't go through the Senate. And we're going to give them the rule book, and we're going to tell them, here's how you let people stay or let people go. And, and I think we ought to lean towards letting people stay if they'll go to work. You know, Fetchy Miss Hewitt pointed out to me, over the weekend, a story. We haven't got enough welders. Did you know that in the United States? We're not even close to having enough welders. We can't build the ships or work the ship. The Arctic ain't got welders. You, know, you can teach someone to weld in about 12 weeks. Maybe not the greatest welder. They're going to have to work for a master craftsman. But we need people who are willing to work. And I know that of these 3 million people who've come in, 10% of them, 10% of them, 300,000 are very bad relative to the other 90%. It's a bell curve. There's always a bell curve. But most of them are just looking for a better way of life, and we could make this work. If it wasn't Mayorkas and the crazy group, this is the most least competent group of people you've ever seen. And competence matters or automatic. Now, I want to do two more stories. Um, uh, uh, buying home and auto insurance used to be routine. It's becoming a nightmare. This is a Wall Street Journal story this morning. I ran into this this summer trying to get a policy, and, and uh, I've never had trouble. By, I, I'm perfectly insurable. We're, we're kind of boring people. But they, they turned it down, and they're just not issuing policies from our insurer for what we needed. And that was kind of support. I said, what's going on here? The insurance markets don't know what to cope with cost of disasters, cost of, of increasingly inclement weather. Elon Musk has used illegal drugs, worrying leaders at Tesla and SpaceX. Hit job on Elon Musk in the Wall Street Journal today uh, because they don't like what's going on. And then finally, um, William Penn, founder of Pennsylvania, right? Home of religious liberty. Pennsylvania, great place. Home of the Constitution, home of the Declaration of Independence, Freedom Square. The National Park Service announced last week that they are going to rehabilitate William Park, Welcome Park, in Philadelphia. All right? That's where the statue of William Penn is. And their idea is that they want to make it more inclusive 
and they're developing it with representatives of the indigenous nations, the Hanahanasi, the Delaware Nation, the Delaware Tribe of Indians, the Shawnee Tribe, and the Eastern Shawnee Tribe of Oklahoma. The reimagined Welcome Park maintains certain aspects and getting rid of some. You know what they're getting rid of? The statue of William Penn. You know what I think? I think they've lost their minds. But this is what is going on in the federal government run by Joe Biden or not run by Joe Biden. The infirm president doesn't know what's going on. That is nuts. And we're here just to talk about nuts. Folks, America's colleges and universities today are less concerned with critical thinking than with indoctrination. No wonder that so many young Americans embrace cancel culture, deny free speech to conservatives and celebrate, actually celebrate terrorism. But I'm happy to report there is a college where students debate ideas openly and honestly, and they pursue truth together with their professors and where America's great heritage of liberty is studied and revered. My favorite college, Hillsdale College. As stated in Hillsdale's founding document in 1844, Hillsdale's original mission was to offer the kind of serious liberal arts education needed to preserve the blessings of civil and religious liberty across the land. And this mission continues to guide Hillsdale College today. You can learn more at q4hillsdale.com. That's q4hillsdale.com. There you'll find a short video. It's just over a minute long, showing how Hillsdale's work, not only on its Michigan and Washington, D.C. campuses, but also across the nation, is effective in defending American liberty. Take some time to watch today at q4hillsdale.com. That's q4hillsdale.com. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Good morning. Less than an hour ago, the Israeli Defense Forces struck a vehicle in southern Lebanon, in which a senior Hezbollah official was writing. That was the initial report 50 minutes ago. About 30 minutes ago, actually 21 minutes ago to be specific, Lebanese sources said that the senior commander of Hezbollah's elite Radwan force was killed. His name is Wassam al-Tawil. Wassam al-Tawil. Now, what's that mean? There are team owners in the NFL, like Nasrallah is the team owner of Hezbollah. The commissioner of Hezbollah is the Ayatollah Khamenei and the IRGC in Iran. So Iran runs a few clubs. They run a club of Houthi, they run a club of Hamas, they run a club of Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and they run Hezbollah. And they run some Syrian stuff, and they run some militias in Iraq. They've got they got the, the Iran League of Proxies. And Israel is basically destroying their proxy in Gaza, the one that carried out the massacre on 10-7. But in a show of solidarity over the past many weeks, since 10-7, it's been three months, Hezbollah, which is on the northern border and is far more potent militarily than Hamas, has been firing missile after missile. And on Sunday, a a barrage of 40 missiles, maybe it was Saturday, a barrage of 40 missiles went in, at which point Israeli Defense Minister Gallant said, hey, we can cut and paste Gaza. If you don't stop this, we're going to cut and paste Gaza, and that will be the end of Hezbollah, and Beirut will be back uh, 30 years. We're done with this. And people listen. Well, the Israelis sent another message today because... They're not going to put up with their citizens having to endure. This is, again, 40 missiles from the north. Hezbollah's got nothing to do with Gaza. Hezbollah is a Iranian proxy. It's Shia extremism, not Sunni extremism like Hamas, but they have a common enemy, Israel, so they cooperate. Israel killed one of Hamas's senior operators, 
their deputy, their number two, in a meeting with a bunch of other terrorists in Lebanon. And so Nasrallah got upset and he fires off a bunch of missiles and Israel just calmly takes out their their commander, uh, a senior commander, and something called the Rodwan Force. Now, Hezbollah is a big organization, and they've got uh, an elite group, and they've got dummies who just showed up yesterday at the bus stop. Well, their elite group is called the Rodwan Force. So if you think, again, it's not a good comparison because our special forces are extraordinarily trained, civilized professionals of the most lethal sort. And the Rodwan Force is not our special forces, but they're the best that Hezbollah has, and their leader just got killed by Israel. Now, I point this out only to tell you that we are on the edge of big things happening, big things happening, bigger than the 90 days of all-out war, where the death toll for the Israeli Defense Forces in Gaza since 10-7, not including the members of the IDF who were killed in the massacre on 10-7, is at 176, last time I checked. That's Multiply that by 35 or so, and you'll get the equivalent of what that impact would be in the United States. So if it's 176 times 10, I'll do this for the Steelers, at 1,700. You do 1,700 times 3, you're going to be at, at 5,100. So you're talking roughly uh, between five and 6,000 Americans KIA in a similar experience over 90 days. So you know that the Israelis are mad as hell, they're traumatized by 10-7, and they're not going to put up with it anymore. And that's good, and we should be with them, and we should have their back. And if Nasrallah wants to fight, the fight will come. And if Iran wants to be in the fight, we're going to be in the fight too, as will be every Sunni state. This might be, we might be one day away. This is why I tell everyone, the book they need to read, if they want to know what, what period of time we are, is called The Sleepwalkers by Sir Christopher Clark, a British Don at Oxford, Cambridge, I can't remember which one. The Sleepwalkers came out a few years ago, and it's about the illusion of stability that the world labored under from 1911 to 1914. All these countries that have ended up in this massive world war where 60 million people died and the numbers were extraordinary. They had no idea it was coming because they were all wrapped up in their own problems and they weren't paying attention to what follows what, maybe B follows A and C follows B. And when the Archduke Ferdinand was murdered in the Balkans, a chain of events set off that ended up with the long lines of trenches across Europe and four years of war. I've been talking about that with Dr. Larry on in the Hillsdale Dialogue for weeks. We're right there right now. And we are on the edge of setting off a set of chain reaction. Putin started it. We actually started it when we collapsed in Afghanistan because that enticed Putin to go into Ukraine because he, he understood that this was a weak, appeasement-driven group that moved too little too late. He went into Ukraine. The war started there. But then Hamas got the idea that this would be a good idea to massacre Jews, that the United States is led by an infirm group of of old and out-of-touch people, especially President Biden. And now Nasrallah has got the wrong idea. And Gallant and Gansan Netanyahu are all sending the same message. We will do this. We will take you out if you don't stop this. And so today, I view today as being the last chance for for Hezbollah to wake up. Because for three weeks, I've been putting it on my Twitter feed to go over to X, the site formerly known as Twitter, 
Follow HughHewitt.com. Since 10-7, it's been 95% serious stuff. 5% politics and maybe one sports. It's not what I normally do on, on X. But I don't want it to, to ever be said. I didn't know it was coming. I know what's coming. We are on the cusp of regional war and beyond that, World War Three or Four, depending on how you count. The Cold War is really World War Three, but World War Four. We're right there. We're at the edge. Because Israel will not... You don't, people do not understand the depth of the anger and the resolve in Israel after 10-7. And they don't understand what 176 dead IDF troops means in northern Gaza and southern and central Gaza. And they, are, they cannot allow Hezbollah to maintain barrages on the north. There are more than a quarter million Israelis who can't go home in the south or the north. And they're not going to put up with this. And so we need to have their back. The trouble is our Secretary of Defense is in intensive care and nobody knew about it. it it's, it's really so dumbfoundingly, jaw-droppingly astonishing that I haven't communicated it successfully to you, but I need to. The fact that Lloyd Austin was out of the chain of command and nobody knew. Nobody knew. When we were under fire, our troops under active fire, in the Middle East, our ships under assault, and nobody knew. Yes, Lloyd Austin should resign, but more than Lloyd Austin, I think Jake Sullivan as well. It's up to him to know what's going on and tell the president. The president doesn't have any idea. He's giving this clueless speech in Valley Forge, and his secretary of defense is in intensive care, and he doesn't know. If that doesn't worry you, I don't know what will. Generalissimo, um, MyPhDWeightLoss.com, other sponsor of our show, MyPhDWeightLoss.com. I assume over the weekend you got out on your electric Pedego bike and pretended to exercise? Uh, I did get out on my bike, and I did exercise, and I didn't pretend much. Okay, and so MyPhDWeightLoss.com, you lost 50 pounds. I did. In three months, you've kept it off for 15 months. Yep. We want people to know they can do that as well, but they got to get started. You get to start a New Year's resolution anytime in January, 864-644-1900. That's 864-644-1900. To connect with myphdweightloss.com, you can go to the website, do what Dwayne did, become Skinny Dwayne, and come right back to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Good morning, America. Hugh Hewitt here, live. I want to talk to you about what happened on Meet the Pre- Excuse me, Face the Nation yesterday. Mike Johnson, Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, went on with Margaret Brennan, and 
They just got into it on. I, I mean, the Beltway Manhattan media is so locked into a January 6th <laughs> narrative that nobody cares about. And I really I really do believe nobody is going to change their view on January 6th. I believe it was a riot. I believe everyone involved in that riot should and has been prosecuted. There are a few more to go. I don't think Donald Trump caused the riot. I think that the people who caused the riot are going to jail. I don't think... It qualifies as an insurrection, even though at the time I called it insurrection, I didn't realize that it would become a term of art for Jack Smith nuttiness and the nuttiness of uh, the secretary of Maine, et cetera. It was a riot. Donald Trump did not start that riot. And people have figured it out and they've come to their conclusion about it. But Mike Johnson still has to run the gauntlet because it's the Beltway Press Corps and the Democratic National Committee wants to talk about January 6th. So he did yesterday. Cut number one. Back in uh, 2021, you were the lawmaker who circulated the, the legal brief known as the Texas Amicus Brief, um, challenging the 2020 election outcome in a number of states, which by CBS editorial standards makes you an election denier. That's so, nonsense. Well, that's, can I get you on the record on that? I've like, always been consistent on the record. Did you read the brief? Did you get a chance to read what we filed with the Supreme Court? Well, I... I have read extensively some criticisms of that. You, you but read commentary about the brief, but not what we submitted to the court. But right? you recognize that President Biden won the 2020 election. Can you the, just put President that aside? President Biden as an was issue? certified as the winner of the election. He took the oath of office. He's been the president for three years. What I, the argument that we presented to the court, which is our only avenue to do so, was that the Constitution was clearly violated in the 2020 election. It's Article Two, Section One, and anyone can Google it and read it for themselves. The the system mm-hmm. by which you choose electors to elect the president of the United States uh, must be done by the individual states, and it, the system must be ratified. By the state legislatures that is language plain so language out of the constitution have issues with the validity of the 2020 election the constitution was violated in the run-up to the 2020 election not not always in bad faith but in in the aftermath of covid many states changed their election laws in ways that violated that plain language that's just a fact um we presented that argument and that that um those facts to the court and uh and it was never directly addressed because of the texas litigation but that was the only um, vehicle we had to present that issue squarely to the court it was completely shut down uh, as as an issue. But your colleague, Liz Cheney, your former colleague, wrote, Mike Johnson and our Republican leaders had played a destructive role. You, you, she says, convinced 125 other Republican members of Congress to sign on to an amicus brief that many never read that made numerous false factual and constitutional claims. How do you respond to that and the impression that you might have contributed in some way. I I don't spend much time responding to Liz Cheney's criticism these days. Liz Cheney worked with the Democrats um, uh, on the uh, January 6th uh, uh, Select Committee uh, to to make all of this even more politicized than it was. Um, She was a a close friend and colleague before um, she she made those choices. you Which know, is why look, she was surprised, she said. Well, well, I'm surprised that she's giving that criticism because during that process, uh, Liz and I were in constant dialogue about that. And it, at one point, she even considered signing on to that bill. I'll, I'll tell you that that is a fact, um, uh, to that uh, amicus brief. Um, and we talked about that at great length. And we had a difference of opinion on the law, and, and, and people can agree to disagree on that. But I'm telling you that the plain language of the Constitution has never changed. And what happened in many states by changing the election laws without ratification by the state legislature is a violation of the Constitution. That's a, that's a plain let fact. Me, let me pause here. The key thing is at the beginning, when 
Margaret Brennan says, according to CBS editorial standards, that makes you an election denier. Okay, who comes up with the CBS News editorial guideline? Because Mike Johnson is not an election denier. Mike Johnson is a constitutional lawyer and Speaker of the House. Some intern, some 24-year-old, and a group of bureaucrats in CBS News says this is it, and Margaret runs with that. And I think this is going to power a lot of the election. People are sick of this. There is no conclusive statement that Mike Johnson is an election denier. That is the opinion of some people at CBS, which is not a fair dealer at this table. Mike Johnson is not an election denier. That is a broad umbrella term intended to smear the Speaker of the House, who made a very, very eloquent argument. I know what Liz Cheney thinks. I've discussed it with Liz Cheney many times via text and on this show. She's an old friend. She's been on the show a lot. She is wrong about the January 6th committee, which was an assault on the way that Congress operates. It was itself the threat to democracy, the January 6th committee and the way that it operated. And I just think people are sick of it. And they are disgusted with CBS News. Good morning, Atlanta. I understand you're upset. I say good morning, Atlanta. I'm on across the country, but I got a great audience in Atlanta. And the Atlanta coach, Arthur Smith, was very upset with the Saints yesterday after the Saints ran up the score at the end. And uh, apparently quarterback Winston just decided to do that on his own. So sorry. It's sports. Go home, take a shower, rest, come back next year, do better, Falcons. I like Atlanta. I really do. But it's not worth getting that upset about. Back to Mike Johnson. He's on He's on with my, Margaret Brennan yesterday. And Margaret Brennan says you're an election denier, according to CBS editorial standards. And I just laughed. Who made CBS editorial decision makers God? Mike Johnson's not an election denier. He did nothing wrong. He filed an amicus brief with the Supreme Court that argued, and it did not persuade the court to take the case, but they argued that all of the changes made that did not involve the state assemblies of the states were illegitimate and ought to be a case that the court considered. The court chose not to do so for a variety of reasons. It's perfectly ordinary constitutional litigation. But they love the term election denier on the January 6th committee and among the never-Trumpers and among Democrats and among Manhattan Beltway media elites. They want to call Republicans election deniers. They're not. They're constitutional lawyers. I just want you to be aware that in the Beltway, they're unaware of just how in the tank for the Democratic Orwellian language they are. And Margaret Brennan is smart. But for her to say that and to argue with Mike Johnson, you're an election denier, whether you know it or not, because our editorial board said you are, that's just just a stupid argument. It doesn't go to the merits. It doesn't persuade anyone. It does not persuade anyone. And all these people running around town, and I I collected all the articles last night for something I'm writing for Fox News. Washington Post, New York Times, The Hill, The Atlantic, The uh, I, I got a few of them. Everyone claiming Trump is going to be a dictator. It's all nonsense, of course. It's complete and absolute absurd nonsense. If he gets the nomination and if he wins, he will not be a dictator. But that's what the narrative is 
That's what the elite media in Manhattan and Beltway offices want you to believe. And there's nobody in the room. If I could get them to listen to one thing, I, I learned it again. I had great working relationship with NBC when I did the debate with them this year. Had a great working relationship with CNN when I did the debates with them eight years ago. Had a great working relationship with uh, CBS when I've done Faith the Nation and ABC when I've done this week. There's nobody in those rooms who have anything like the point of view of a center-right constitutional conservative. They are unaware of the arguments. They don't know what we're talking about. And now I want to say something that I don't take any joy in saying, and I, I, I want to make it as Christian as I can. The young people in these news organizations are not well-educated. The young people who are editing op-eds, the young people who are producing television, the young people who are booking guests, the young people who are trying to do rundowns for their hosts are not well-educated. They don't have a good idea of the two stories of how we got here. And every year that I teach, I'm not teaching con law this year. I take every other year off because it's an election year and I'm usually on the road during the spring. Next year, I'll be teaching con law one and con law two again at Chapman Law School. And I will begin both con law one and con law two with the same lecture. How did you get here? And that's a two part lecture. How did you get here is two questions. How did this law school classroom get here in the year next year will be 2025 how did it come and to know that you've got to know at a minimum the history of the jews the history of the greeks the history of the romans the history of the english and the history of the american people and then you've got to figure out from that at the end point of the history of the american people and the second world war how did chapman come to start a law school in 1995 and how did it become a great law school and that's one story. The second story, how did you, the individual, get here? So there's a group story, Western civilization, as manifested in this classroom in which we are in. And then there's your story. Yeah, I know the my great-grandfather came to the country in 1868 from St. Field, Ireland, penniless, went to work in the coal mines. And I know the rest of the story on the on the German and the Irish side, and somehow there are some Swiss people in there, and I don't know how that got happening. But I've got a general outline, basically comes down to James Hewitt getting on a boat in Ulster in 1868 and getting here. Everybody's got a story about how they got here, and it's usually the sacrifice of your parents or your grandparents or their parents, and it's over many years, and you have an individual story, but civilization has a story. For reporters to make sense about anything, they have to be smart about the first story, and they have to keep the second story out of it. Because the second story influences how you view the first story. Because maybe your family didn't have it so good. Maybe your mother, your father wasn't there. Maybe they didn't prize what they needed to prize or hold up what they needed to hold up. Or maybe you did not get the natural package of abilities and talents to be able to learn history. But the first part does matter for every story. There's a context. There's a reality to the world. We got here by one step after another. I've been rereading Tom Holland's Dominion. I'm going to give a talk tomorrow night to the Legatus Group in Southern California. And I've been rereading Dominion. Because I do think the history of the West is important for people to understand where we are right now. And I think 
the fact that powers rise and fall. The more history you know, the more you are aware of where we are and why we're going up or down. And right now there are five powers in the world. There's the United States and its allies. There's Russia, China, and Iran. Five powers. Our allies include Israel. And 25 years from now, those five powers, each of them, the United States, its allies, China, Russia, and Iran, will be in a better position and more powerful and and more influential in the world and the way the world works, or less. And the rise and fall of nations' national power is what ought to concern us in a presidential election, because we have been falling for three years in free fall. From the election of Joe Biden and Abby Gate, through our uh, indecision that led to Putin's invasion in Ukraine, because he knew we weren't going to do anything until it was too late, right through 10-7, when Hamas got the idea that somehow Israel you could massacre 1,200 Jews and Israel would not destroy Gaza in response going after Hamas. And it's all because people are stupid about history. And we can't put up with stupidity anymore. And this, this conversation yesterday, I really do think, illustrates everything that's wrong. Let's go to cut number two. Mike Johnson with Margaret Brennan. Cut number two. We've been asking Alexander, uh, Secretary Mayorkas since he took office to enforce the law, to do his job, and he's done exactly the opposite. He's but, testified un, untruthfully but, but why before Congress repeatedly. why focus the congressional resources on going ahead with an impeachment when they could be dealing with the actual issues here on the ground? I, I believe Stop right there. Mike Johnson wants to talk about the border wall. There's a big negotiation underway. You can hold two thoughts, as Hillary Clinton told me on this show. You can both pursue the negotiations which have nothing to do with the impeachment. They are not, it's not a zero-sum game. Congress can, can and does do multiple things every year at the same time. So it's a false choice that Margaret Brennan, it's a talking point. It's a talking point. You're not taking care of the important stuff because you're doing impeachment, Speaker Johnson. That's a lie. The Speaker's got 24 hours in a day just like you. And if you're like me, Yesterday, you may have gone to church, as we did yesterday. You may have, have gone done some shopping, as we did yesterday. You may have, indeed, uh, uh, watched The Crown, which we did yesterday. You may have uh, been involved in writing two long pieces, which I did yesterday, do show prep. You do a lot of things in the course of a day. The Speaker of the United States can both pursue immigration and impeachment at the same time. But built into Margaret's question is the Beltway wants the people watching. And that's why people aren't watching. That's why the audiences are plummeting for news. It's not fair. It's just a crooked game. There isn't one conservative running one Sunday show. It's all a crooked game. Mike Johnson's not playing that game. Cut number four with Margaret Brennan. Right. The, the, I think anyone with common sense would tell you that you cannot throw more money at a bad system. We don't want to empower more of this. The, the White House, the administration, Secretary Mayorkas, had put a welcome mat out. Did but you, you know couldn't that- even go through the deportations that you would like to see happen without the funding to actually have the pro- Argumentative. Margaret Brown, I, don't, I do not understand why they won't let the speaker make his argument. The argument is very simple. We are not going to sign off on this package unless we fix the immigration system. It's very simple. We're not going to do that. And Margaret Brennan, Democratic talking point, well, why not at least do something? Because it's what we want to do. We Democrats. Margaret Brennan, a Democrat, wants to do what the Democrats want to do, which is not fix the problem, but pretend to fix the problem so they have a political solution. It's just a Democratic talking point. And boy, it gets old. 
every show, every day, every network, except Fox, is Democratic talking points because it's election year. And I, I really respect Mike Johnson for keeping his cool. But the, here is the bottom line. I'm telling you again, there will be no deal unless the wall is in it and it will be finished before anything else happens. It won't happen. I've been doing this since 2000. I wrote the book on this in 2004. I wrote another book on it in 2006. And I am an immigration reformer. I'm in favor of letting 90% of the people who've crossed in the country illegally stay. I don't want them to become citizens. If you enter the country illegally, you ought not to be eligible for citizenship. But I'm in favor of giving those who are hardworking and law-abiding a purple card and letting them work, letting their kids grow up here. If their kids are born here, they're citizens. Let them go to school. Let's educate. We need people in the United States. We need hardworking people to do jobs. And there are jobs that Americans will do, and they will compete for it. That will happen. But we need blue-collar people who will go to trade school and learn how to be welders and everything else. We need people to rebuild the inner city. We need all of this stuff to happen. We do. But we ought not to do it if we don't have control over the southern border because we have reached our limit, and it is dangerous to allow 3 million people to cross the border without vetting. I mean, it's so dangerous. Do you think the Chinese Communist Party, the Iranian uh, Revolutionary Guard Corps, Russia's Putin... Uh, North Korea. Do you think all these bad guy fanaticists from ISIS and the Taliban, do you think they do not know that they can get to the United States? They do. They have. They've come. We have to close the border. And the media elites in the Beltway don't understand that. And that's why I think Republicans are going to win. Stay tuned. I'm coming right back with Bethany Mandel. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Bethany Mandel joins me. She's a columnist extraordinaire and the author of Stolen Youth. Good morning, Bethany. You're trying to get to Israel. Why? Why? Um, So I've been helping a couple of hostage families deal with U.S. media, and I want to meet them. I want to I want to be there. I want to see what's going on on the on the ground. It's been an excruciating three months. And um, and I want to just like set foot on the soil myself. How, how will you take all or any of your brood with you? No. Okay. So no. You're just it was funny. Go. I was talking to my, yeah, yeah. No, I was talking no. to my 10 year old about it and I asked if she wanted to come and she said, I don't want to go on a death tour. And I said, okay, that's fair. That's fair <laughs> at 10. That's fair. Now uh, you need yeah. a private plane because apparently it's hard to get to Israel these days. Is that because the demand is off the charts? No, it's because almost all of the airliners have stopped flying there, except for El Al, which is extremely expensive. And so all of the messages that I got last night when I asked on Twitter, um, folks told me you have to fly to Europe uh, and then on a separate itinerary, book a flight from Paris, Munich, whatever, on El Al um, from Europe to Tel Aviv, which like, are there worse things in the world? to go to Paris for a day and then get on a plane to Tel Aviv? I think not. So right. maybe well, I want, I want the audience to know if you're flying to Israel this week or next, Bethany Mandel needs a lift. Uh, Bethany, I check <laughs> and I want to communicate this to people. I check the Times of Israel every hour. Last hour, they assassinated a leading Hezbollah activist because 40 missiles went over. I don't think the American people realize what's going on on the northern border. Do you? 
I don't. And it's something that I've actually been thinking about a lot, that a lot of folks are really uh, unaware, not only of the back and forth that's happening on the northern border. I just got, I, I think, 15 or 20 notifications that uh, there were hostile aircraft intrusions in the north. But that most of the folks that are living in the north on the border um, with Lebanon have evacuated and a lot of their homes have already been destroyed. And so I think there's not there's already not enough conversation about displaced Israelis in general, but everyone assumes that all of them are from the southern communities bordering the Gaza Strip. But there's also a lot of refugees coming from the north who are displaced as well. Um, Israel is dealing with a humanitarian crisis, the likes of which um, it has never it has never dealt with before. Let's pause on this, because I I understand why Claudine Gay became a target, because she plagiarized and she embarrassed Harvard and Harvard had anti-Semitism. But I kind of regret that we lost the thread. We were focused on 10-7, the existential battle that Israel is in. And now we're focused on the presidential campaign and Claudine Gay and all the variety of political controversies blowing around. And we've sort of lost the thread. Or do you think I'm overstating that? I, I'm afraid we've lost the thread that we are on the edge of what could be World War Four. I think we have. I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, it was it was frustrating to see the conversation turn into only plagiarism, which was a huge problem. Um, at Harvard, but it, it didn't it didn't rest with with that. The reason that all of our attention was on Harvard was because of uh, because of her testimony at the anti-Semitism hearings and the situation on the northern border. I mean, Hezbollah is backed up by Iran. This is not just some rogue state. Um, the fact that all of these missiles and hostile aircraft intrusions, I have friends who have visited the IDF on the northern border, and they're they're nervous. They're nervous about IDF readiness. They're nervous about uh, the fact that the IDF is stretched so thin on the Gaza Strip and now on the northern border. Um, it's it's a scary time, and I, and I think you're correct that a lot of people don't realize how close we are to a real catastrophe. And and if Israel goes to war, I'm confident they will win. But they'd rather not go to war. They'd rather that Hezbollah pull yeah. back to the Latani River. But we're not even talking about it. Last question. How did you react to learning that Lloyd Austin was in intensive care and the president of the United States did not know that the chain of command was not functioning? I mean, if, if I had a, a regular job, just a normal job, and there was something riding on my competence, if I didn't have anyone tell my boss that I was out of commission, and I think my suspicion is we heard that he was in the ICU because he had had an elective procedure. I think that's what's going on here. I think that there was some embarrassment about the fact that this was an elective procedure that went awry somehow and sent him into the ICU. I'm sorry, I don't care. Don't don't get an elective procedure. <laughs> like you, you, Your job and your duty is to the American people, and if you're not able to perform that job, you need to disclose that. I think this is a fireable offense. So, oh, so do I. 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 I can't believe we've got American naval ships under fire every day. We've got bases all across the Middle East yep. under fire every day. And we've got a major war with our major ally. And our secretary of defense goes missing for five days and in the intensive yep. care unit. And his deputy doesn't know. And the national security advisor and the president doesn't know. I, I, it yeah, and really, the deputy was on vacation. Yeah, it just seems to me that, that that the Keystone cops are there and Joe Biden's Delaware speech about threats to democracy. Holy tone deaf. I, I close there. 30 seconds. What did you make of the president's latest democracy is a danger speech? 
I didn't pay attention. I don't pay attention to this stuff. I don't care. He he yammers on, and so much of what he says doesn't make coherent sense. I mean, it's like me in the morning after not having slept for four days, but that's him all the time. Yep. <laughs> well, I've, I've never talked to you after you haven't slept for four days, so I don't know, but I'll bet you that is Joe Biden all the time. Bethany Mandel, follow her on X at Bethany Shondark. And if you're flying to Israel, offer her a ride. She needs to get there. Thank you, Bethany. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.